Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Thursday, everybody. How's your week going? Mine's doing pretty good. Uh, I think I was telling you guys last week, a little bit of the beginning of this week, I was definitely having some allergy stuff. I still think there's some stuff in the air. So, man, do you remember how (laughs) at the beginning of the pandemic, any sign or symptom for most of us, we were like Googling and checking and there's constantly an update as to what the symptoms were, right? And then we landed on the solid, oh, you can't really smell or taste anything. And that felt really good to people. Cough wasn't quite enough. I, I, I cough a lot, so that was just gonna naturally be in there. But I think we've all kind of got a little more familiar and it's become a little more normalized. Uh, sadly, in the direction of some people not taking it seriously still, but happily in that we're a little more familiar with some of the signs and symptoms and maybe not panicking as much irrationally if we have just some kind of internal distress, you know, a little bit of phlegm or a little coughing. The, the, the red flags aren't there anymore. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm dealing with. <laughs> We're home a lot. The air conditioning, recycled air, right? It's hot. Um, not moving as much. Things are a lot more settled and still than they were before. God bless it. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveland IG page. That is in the stories. Got a great show planned for you, and uh, later we will be talking about something a little heavy, uh, myths around suicide. But again, that'll be us kind of finishing out our focus on that. September was the month that was suicide awareness, but it's still something to always be talking about. That's always my concern is, you know, you have a day, a week, or a month, or a movement, and you kind of give up afterwards. And that's what the Black Lives Matters concerns were and still continue to be is the momentum has dropped a little bit, but the impact is still there. Got to keep talking about all the things that we got to keep talking about, right? Um, all right, though, let's talk about some news. Yeah, United, uh, United States coronavirus numbers, right? So confirmed is 7 million. Deaths are 208,000. So we reported on this last week. So it's up about 847 because last week it was about 200,000. Now it's 208,000. Now, again, remember, confirmed in the U.S. is 7 million, right? We're up 46,000. Worldwide, confirmed is 34 million and the deaths hit one, excuse me, 1 million. Heartbreaking. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. More to come, right? Ah, Still trying to figure out what's going on over there at the White House. The numbers kept growing every day. Then they kind of plateaued, but uh, you know, keep keep an eye on that. Also, uh, we already know that Trump and his wife have the coronavirus, so still kind of getting reports about that. And I think we're going to, for a while, get you know a little more intel as to what that's about. People are being a little shady. We're not getting direct answers. Journalists are getting frustrated, so we're still waiting on that. Um, the CDC did release new on-campus guidelines for schools. 
Ay, ay, ay. Again, I said this last time I was talking about this. I just don't think we're ready. But as colleges and universities are dealing with the coronavirus outbreaks on campus, CDC announced a new approach to reduce transmission. They are saying, and I quote, staff and students between the institutions of higher education and the community should be giving regular serial testing. We've talked about that. This isn't really anything that new so that they can be doing serial tracing. Look, uh, I, I, that will work. That will help. I do support parents that are saying that maybe it's not time to go back to campus, maybe looking for alternative living arrangements. Look, it's a... Man, that's a complex issue issue to unravel. You know, your child was ready to go, the school's gearing up, and you have to decide if it's safe. I'm so thankful I'm not in that position. So I'm sending out empathy for families that have to figure that all out. Because also, the child comes home for the holidays. So make sure your child's getting tested before they uh, come home for the holidays. You really want to look out for those that are at home. Ay, ay, ay. One in four women are considering changing careers or quitting the workforce. Uh, yeah, they might quit the workforce all entirely. One in four. And that's due to hardships caused by the pandemic, according to a new study. From job losses to remote learning or the overall lack of childcare, pandemics left women with many unique challenges. Uh, according to another study, one in three working mothers are considering changing careers or just quitting the workforce. Men, lower numbers, with only one in 10 considering. Well, a lot of people that are male-identified are the financial breadwinners, but I do want to support those men and decide that maybe for them they don't want to return to work and maybe they have their wife work. Got to really figure that out. It shouldn't be gendered. That's not something that's inherent. That's something that we're socialized with. Everyone has the capacity to stay home and care, care give when given the opportunity, social support and experience and practice. Uh, and anyone can go out into the workforce. It's a beautiful thing. Let's make options open to everyone. Better, faster testing is the path to an American comeback. Yep, that's right. We're hearing that from a lot of people, but this is coming from Bloomberg News. Rapid testing might be the only way to get back to normal. Yeah, we've been saying that. It's got to be made available everywhere. Citing students at the University of Arizona, students had to visit one of the university gyms for rapid testing. It took an hour. If you're negative, go to your dorm. If you're positive, you're sent into a special isolation dorm where you spent the first two weeks of instruction online. Yikes, imagine going to school and finding that out, and then you're kind of like set aside, which I do believe is important. And then finally, I'm, I'm here for this one. Airbnb blocks, cancel some reservations to stop your Halloween party before it begins. So if you booked a property over Halloween weekend, your reservation might be canceled. Check in on that, man. Guest booking just one or two nights stay over Halloween weekend are being canceled in an attempt to stop parties and mass gatherings. Yeah. People that booked homes with a higher occupancy of 10 will be asked to sign an extra agreement. Man, people are getting serious, but they need to. Airbnb, it's people's livelihood. livelihood. Some people live in those places. You know what I mean? They rent them and they come back or they rent them to others looking out for safety. Oh man, more of that to come. All right, y'all. <laughs> we got a great show planned for you. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on a new channel Q and radio.com. All right, now we're going to go to our first guest, Tracy Clayton, writer and podcaster. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. And uh, before we jump in anything, I'm always happy to celebrate people's successes. So I wanted to just call out two of the awards you got. I love this. The Roots, Root 100, and I love this one even more. <laughs> Ebony's Power 100, Disruptor. Now, at yeah. a time like this, we need people <laughs> like you disrupting the system. <laughs> Thanks. I try to do my best to be a thorn in everyone's side, and sometimes it's for the better. <laughs> <laughs> I know that well, that strategy. Um, how is your mental health right now through everything that's going on? And uh, that's a lot. There's a lot happening right now. There's quite a lot happening right now. Um, honestly, like 
right now at 7.18 p.m. on the East Coast, it's it's all right, but it's definitely a day-to-day thing. Um, I, in addition to going through the same pandemic that everyone else is and the same like race war and all that, um, I ended up making three podcasts at once, wow. which is not ideal. <laughs> it's not it's not the best way to to work or to be a podcaster. But I mean, it was a situation where nothing was in my control. Um, some company decisions, and then COVID happened, and then I just ended up with three podcasts on my plate at once. And that has been um, a lesson in setting boundaries Mm -hmm. and occasionally putting myself first and realizing that I can say no to things if I'm too busy. And um, those are good. Those are good things. Those are good signs. So I am learning from the tough times when I have them. But um, right now I'm I'm all right. I'm all right. Beautiful. And I, and I love what you just pointed out, because when I talk to my patients or others about mental health, it's kind of what you just pointed out. Self-care is often saying no, setting boundaries. And in one of the interviews I read about you, you called out that you realized there was a time when you needed to step away and kind of rest and heal. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a, a couple of times. <laughs> I think the most recent time was... Um, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, time is tough to track these days, but um, with three podcasts on my plate, like I just I just ran out of gas a little while ago, and um, it was a situation where I had to realize, you know, you can't give away what you don't have. You can't pour from an empty cup, and my cup was completely empty. And thankfully, I work with a team, and I work with people who were understanding of that, and um you know, I had to accept that it might cause some complications, but I mean, if it causes complications, we can work through them once my glass is full again. I, I um, love that. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's centering mental health, right? Because in our culture, I think we over idealize and prioritize productivity and work, work, work yes. and grind culture. And so mm-hmm. it's unfortunately a necessary but very radical act to say no and take a break. Absolutely. And depending on who you are and where you were raised and how you were um, socialized, it's really hard to unlearn. I'm from... Um, Kentucky and from the South. Also, I just really like being polite. Like I'm a people pleaser and I don't like to say no to people. And um, reinforcing that is this idea that, you know, you shouldn't say no to people as a woman. You shouldn't say no and complicate other people's lives as a Southern woman. So there's a lot of um, muck and mire and scar tissue that you have to, that I had to sort of reckon with and um, just deal with as I'm learning how to take care of myself better. And it's it's tough, but it's absolutely worth it. Like if I hadn't taken that week off, I I have no idea what would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? My work would have suffered and it, it would have been a lot. It's tough. All right. We'll be back with Tracy Clayton to talk more about acting the industry and COVID. Tracy Clayton, writer and podcaster. Uh, So I was looking at the New York Times and I I thought, you know, you're doing a lot very successfully. The bar's a little high. I mean, one of the comments was (laughs) New York Times said that you are using pop culture as a bomb in trying times. I thought that's quite an understatement because there's a lot more going on than trying times. And that's a big request for you (laughs) in pop culture. How do you think we're able to use pop culture to kind of get us through what's happening? So for me, it's been a really big help to look back at where we've been to remind me that um, history does repeat itself for better or for worse. Um, And that's helpful because when I think about the um, tough times that we're having right now, you know, like 
we've had really, really tough times before. And often those tough times are sort of um, dealt with and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Processed via pop culture, I think. So being able to look back and say, you know, this sort of reminds me of like what I saw when I was younger happening in the 60s. And um, I'm sure that people then felt like they were going to die the way that I kind of do all the time. Like it really feels like the world is ending when it kind of always feels like the world is ending, you know? So it helps to give some perspective. And also it just, it, it transports me personally to a time when I was young, I didn't have any responsibilities, I didn't have a job or rent and it just feels good. And I think the experience of feeling good and just being joyful, especially for black people is something that we're missing because it's, it's a thing that you need, just like you need food, you know, like it, it changes your brain. It helps to refuel you. It gives you hope and a reason to keep going. So um, those are the two main things that pop culture does for me. Yeah. And, and it can also be such a really interesting and powerful political tool if an artist like yourself chooses to use it. Um, one of the things I saw that you put out on, I think it it might've been your Instagram, maybe your Twitter, but you, you were talking about remembering to be kind to your body because our body is what kind of carries us through this difficult time. And I really uh-huh. loved that because I think we tend to very much shame bodies and we try to make yeah. people feel like they need to look a certain way. And this was such a beautiful reframing of that. Mm, thank you. Thanks very much. Um, it's, it's interesting because just yesterday I tweeted that when I see another woman with my exact body type, I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. She's so perfect. And then I look at my own mirror and I'm just like, you should have worked out today, you know? So even as I know better, I'm still just kind of doing the best that I can, which um, is helpful for me. That's when like Twitter and social media and Instagram really are helpful because it shows me that I'm not the only one struggling with this stuff. It shows me that you can know better, but still keep repeating the same lies to yourself. And like, you really have to like work hard to push through that and to unlearn it. But when you know that you're not alone, it makes it easier. And also, again, it's about perspective. Like, of course, of course you're gonna gain weight during a quarantine when you can't go anywhere. You know, you don't have to, but if it happens, it makes sense, you know? And also everybody's like, inside quarantine, gaining weight, not happy with what's going on. And uh, it just really helps to remind yourself of what you are in the middle of right now. Like if you add um, during a pandemic at the end of like your appraisals of yourself, I think that it really helps. So if I'm like, you know, I'm not doing great, that can open up the door for me to be very unkind to myself, you know, like, oh, I'm just feeling left and right. But if I say I'm not doing excuse me, I'm not doing great during a pandemic. It's just like, oh, (laughs) sure. Of course, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. (laughs) Give yourself a break. Jeez. But, But I appreciate people like yourself being so transparent and vulnerable on social media because people expect, again, people like yourself to be just nailing it. You're successful. You have outlets. Like, you're funny. You're doing well. And so I think for others, it really normalizes their struggle when they see people like yourself saying, yeah, I'm a human. I'm in it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love Beyonce just as much as everyone else does. Um, well, as you said, you are the Beyonce of mood disorders. I am. I am. I believe you should be the Beyonce of whatever you are, <laughs> whatever your that. thing is. Um, 
But my favorite moments watching Beyonce are like candid moments when she's like in the process of learning something or when she like misses a step as she's practicing because you really, really do forget that the people that we see every day and the people who are being marketed to us in a way that makes us want to be them, we forget that they're people too and that they messed up, that they mess up on occasion and like they get sad, they get depressed, you know, like we don't get to see that from the people that we admire. And um, I think it's really important. So, and it also like makes me feel better about um, all the balls that I drop when I drop them. Um, because if I can share that with other people and if that can help inspire a good change or a good feeling in someone else's life, then I feel like at least there's a reason for my suffering slash bumbling slash depression slash whatever else is going on. And that again, helps me to be a little kinder to my mood disorder, which, is an odd concept, but it's also helpful. Beautifully said. Tracy Clayton, thank you for your strength and for your honesty. And, of course, Strong Black Legends. And we all know another round. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was Have so a fun. Beautiful night. Be well. You as well. And it's really important. You know, I want people to just be vulnerable and let themselves be where they are. And as Tracy talked about, we're all in it together and we're all human, no matter how successful you might think someone is or how they traditionally thrive. We're all doing our best. And so, you know, give yourself a break. As she pointed out, talk as kindly to yourself as you might to other people. And uh, when you feel like you need to take a little bit of rest, take that rest. All right, now we're going to talk with a licensed therapist, Rebecca Sheeta, about relationships and COVID. And coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. All right, y'all, we are back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Dear Dr. Chris, I'm a black man that's struggling with my identity. I'm in the music industry, and although I feel like we're getting a little bit more accepting, I'm constantly hiding the fact that I'm gay. I even have a girlfriend right now, but pretty soon it will end because it always does when I don't want to have sex. I make up some excuse every time, but I'm tired of it. I live in Nashville, so as you can imagine, it's a little rough for me at times. Just want to be free, but I'm living with fear, guilt, anxiety. How can I tell the people I love that I'm gay? I empathize with what you're struggling with. We have to first always go to the larger macro social context. You know, you're in a homophobic world, and some people live in even more hyper-amplified homophobic environments on top of that. And uh, for you, Nashville is one of those places. And people are at the mercy of that. Not everyone has the empowerment, confidence to stand up against that, depending on what also is on at stake, you know, your mental health, your sense of security, but also for some people, their employment. So I, I, I really empathize with that. And this is where I speak to our larger level of listeners and say, look, we have to really work on dismantling homophobia said people like this don't have to come out. And part of coming out is because we still have the assumption that everyone's hetero until you come out or tell us otherwise. I mean, and if we can release that um, assumption and expectation, then no one has to come out. If we you know, react and encounter and really engage everyone as though they could be gay or straight or bi, we don't know, no one has to really come out. So let's stop making assumptions. Uh, number two, I, I need to ask you to stop misusing your female partners though it's not kind or fair to date someone that you're not truly romantically or sexually interested in but yet pretend you are um unless they're aware right and it doesn't sound like they are because you just said they don't know and they'll dump you if they find out because you're not having sex so don't do that because these people these women 
are also impacted by this. And again, it's a misuse of courtship, right? Where people are dating for love, sex, romance, whatever it is, and, and to lie misuse is not ethical, healthy sex. So I'd rather you be single while struggling with this than misusing these women. So I also wanna point that out because that's not fair to them. Um, it's, you know, here's the thing, not everyone's safe to be told this and people have to earn your trust. They have to earn the right to know really triggering anxious parts of ourselves. I don't think the, the answer is everyone should, that's gay or bi or queer or trans or, you know, whatever it is needs to come out. It's, it's up to you. And it's really a question of two things. One, what relationships do you want to be that intimate with? Because it's an intimacy building thing. And the people that are safe and you want to have that closeness with, practice coming out to them first. Because the easiest way to do something really difficult, especially something socially stigmatized, is to have a social community or social unit or group behind you. It starts to alleviate some of the shame and guilt, but it also builds up your confidence because you have support. So come out first to the people that you feel safe and close to. Practice that. That might take weeks, months, or even years. That's okay. There's no rush. And, um, and then after you've done that, you decide who else has the worth or value to come out to. Unless you decide you want to just literally come out to everyone because you're not willing to participate in homophobia and realizing that your presence as a gay man, especially a gay black man, is a really powerfully healing but also rebellious act against heterocentricity. So for me, I like being my full self, whatever space I'm occupying. Um, but I've done a lot of work to be able to do that. So you know, take your time, be on your journey. It's no rush. Um, but um, yeah, you practice slowly because some people we don't have that kind of closeness with. We've never been that on intimate or vulnerable. And so to just come so forward and reveal who we are can be overwhelming on that relationship depending on who they are. So, you know, let these women go, start practicing, build community. That's usually how we get through things like this, you know, having people in our corner. But um, I hate hearing that people are still struggling with these things, you know? Oh, y'all, we got so much, so much work to do. All right, good luck with that. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore it with confidence. Uh, Love Lines, podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. So check out past episodes and my uh, streaming show. I'm listening live. That's every Thursday night, 5 p.m., 8 p.m. Pacific. And that's on all the radio.com handles. That's Twitter, Facebook, and um, YouTube. And also, y'all, remember to vote. If you haven't registered, make sure you are. I thought I was, as I've said. Make sure there's a reminder to register to vote, and you can just kind of text them the link, you know, real casually. Like, hey, have you done this? All right, y'all. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right. Now we're going to go to our next guest, a licensed therapist, Rebecca Sheeta. Rebecca, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm doing great. So at the intro is talking about the unfortunate stats and stories that we're hearing about divorces and marital and relational conflict being on the rise. Uh, walk us through that a little bit. Why do you think that's happening? Well, I think that, you know, people are so used to working and being out in the world and also having different ways to cope that they don't have that now. Um, they're trapped with their spouses or significant others and uh, it makes it really challenging. It's challenging too when you have your kids around 24 seven too, um, which I am experiencing, so. No, I think, I'm glad you called that out because I think some people forget that. Some are, you know, have a whole, full household. They're sharing computers and internet so they can both work while going to school, trying to keep tabs on everyone. Um, talk to us about that, just that piece. Are you working, are you seeing some of your clients struggling to figure out how to manage um, I guess, energy and attention to so many different places at once? Definitely. And I, I'm seeing that m 
more like because I have I have two teens and I have one that's in college now um, and I have a daughter who's 15. It's a lot easier with that because I'm I don't have to sort of manage her Zoom classes and so forth. But I'm finding that clients who have younger children who um, maybe like third or fourth graders or even younger, they're trying to work from home, but also manage how do my how does my kid do online school and pay attention. Um, that's a real challenge because when you have a teacher who's managing your kids at school, there is a lot more like stimuli and they can, they're friends. And in this way they're trapped and they're looking at a computer. So you have parents that are having to manage like technology too. God you bless know? that. Okay. Yeah. God bless that. I'm horrible at that. So let's just talk about for a second that right now, a lot of relationships, uh, marriages and just general relationships are kind of going through a special moment that isn't really standard. Nor normally we are not trapped in some respects with the same person around the clock right? Without any breaks or any distractions. So what are the kinds of tips or perspectives that you're offering people to kind of weather the storm? Well, you know, I think what is really positive I've seen with some clients that have worked is if you can, it's not always possible depending on the space you have, but clients that absolutely like are in separate rooms and kind of go away from each other, you know, if they can um, while they're working and then kind of reconvene at the end of the workday if possible or for lunch, you know, um, having that time together, um, but also time apart, which is important. Um, because I think if you're if you're with someone 24 seven, I think it can be really challenging. Um, a lot of people have different needs for space um, and need time to just kind of be on their own. Um, and so you're kind of discovering people's needs and wants in different ways because we are around each other so much now. And I could see where that could be a positive on one hand, right, where you're learning other facets and components of your partner. But then I could also see on the other hand where it's not feeling so great because for some people they might be saying, this isn't really a real scenario. And so whatever's emerging out of it isn't necessarily like what we really need to take seriously. So our, I'm telling some of the clients in my practice, I'm like, be loving towards yourself and your partner. Like, let whatever you can go, let it go. Right, 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 I mean, right size everything. Amp, turn it down a few notches. I mean, I love that. The right sizing part is so important right now. And if people can sometimes put some things on the back burner um, for later, um, I think right now everything feels so intensified just with what's going on in our world politically and so forth. I think that we all are experiencing more depression and anxiety than we probably ever have before. Some people who have never experienced depression and anxiety are experiencing it for the first time. And so it's really challenging, along with the fact that people have very different ways of dealing with COVID and their fears of COVID. I've seen that a lot with couples and how they struggle through that. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully said. Uh, people are encountering new facets of mental health issue or struggle that maybe they haven't encountered before. So also, are you telling people, I mean, what I'm saying is, you, you can't unhear or take back some things that you might say, right? So I'm saying be very cautious about what's said, but I'm also saying that we can't take everything that's happening right now as seriously as we might otherwise. Are you also offering that? Definitely. I mean, definitely, definitely. It, 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 I think what's happening too is people don't have the outlets that they used to. I mean, you know, we used to be able to go out with friends and really just like discharge a lot of energy in that way. And even in exercising, people can't go to the gym or go to their favorite exercise class. So we're, we're, there's a lot more pressure inside of all of us, I think at this time and much more difficulty in letting go of things. So we have to find some ways of doing that even in the situation we're in now. 
Yeah, it was interesting to see which which people in early dating and relationship chose to kind of move in right away and cohabitate and weather this. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like good luck. You're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about each other real quick. <laughs> yeah, that is for sure. I mean, that is hard. And a lot of people that have gotten puppies, which, you know, I did that. So, you know, a lot of people getting animals sort of like as a way to to not stress and then also think, well, now I can be here all the time and this is fantastic. But I think there's a need for um, intimacy and connection and it's hard to have that through Zoom. You know? Oh, so true, right? It's, it's the best we have and you got to make do, but it definitely does not feel the same. It's not the same at all because I think as a therapist, and I think you would say this as well, that there's the energy you get with your clients when you're in the room with them that you feed off of each other. And through a screen, it's just not the same. It's no, the same. I, you know, because in, in, in a standard room, we're able to move around, look around. But with a computer, you're forced to just have, you know, directed attention consistently. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. And it's a little draining more energy wise. I don't know if you've experienced that. You you feel more drained by the end of the day. I, I'm yeah. always exhausted and I always feel very fragile right now. And I'm kind of I just. My naps. What's that? I love my naps. Oh, my yeah. Naps. I was never a napper. Thank you so much, Rebecca Sheeta. You can catch more of Tracy Clayton and Rebecca on I'm Listening. All right, y'all, we're back. And we're going to be talking about suicide just to finish out acknowledging suicide awareness. And we'll be talking more about this. But um, heavy topic, but important. Because remember, we're always trying to destigmatize talking about mental health. And that's just one of the goals of this show, right? Listening to this show, you're already doing that. You're getting really familiar and comfortable being as intimate and bold and as radical in our culture as, you know, being a mom or a teacher or an employer or a therapist and still being able to acknowledge that you're human. And that means you feel a full range of human emotions and experiences. And that's really what mental health is, right? It's not about being happy or always feeling good. Mental health means you're sometimes depressed. Mental health means sometimes you're sad. Mental health means sometimes you're grieving a loss or anxious. That's part of mental health. Mental health, again, is feeling a full range of emotions and feeling them deeply and being able to regulate yourself. Now, mental struggles start coming up when that doesn't feel doable. So people that are toxically positive, always happy, always looking on the bright side, in some definitions, there's some mental struggling. In that some mental illness, some mental disorder. Why? What's the inability? What's the lack of willingness? What's the struggle in um, feeling negative, more negative as we claim them to be emotions, right? Someone who only lives in a few emotions, that's, that's not healthy. That's not real. That's not honest. And so there's something avoidant in that, or there's something very fear-based. The healthiest people are the ones that are feeling a full range, but again, they're very regulated. And it's not that it's so dramatic or catastrophized. It's that they're able to just kind of roll with things as they're happening, right? So, you know, the way that we even get there is by just starting to talk more, remind people, you know, the more others see and hear others talk about their mental health struggles, it normalizes it. It makes them less afraid because what can also happen is someone's, someone's got anxiety and they think because the way we're trained in our culture that immediately that means something bad happened. I need to get wrong, wrong. You know, I need to get rid of it. I need to fix it. So tell me what to do. Give me a medication. And that's not the work. And the more we can see others moving through their lives, normalizing, yeah, I'm anxious today and that's okay. And I can sit with it and sit in it and I can still go do what I want to do with my day. And again, we start to internalize that. And we have others reflecting that back for us, right? Seeing how others move through the world really builds up our self-esteem, but also makes us feel okay about things. So the only way we can see that those people around us that we deem to be healthy, functional, successful, that they can do that while having some mental health struggles is if they share that. And that's what I love is working with guests on the I'm Listening Project where they 
they talk about those struggles and they're talking about, you know, still living the lives they want to lead. So again, we normalize it by talking about it, by hearing about it. And that's part of suicide. You know, talking about a topic is not permission giving. Talking about a topic does not increase the likelihood that it happens. Quite the opposite. When we talk about a topic, especially one like addiction, sexual abuse, suicide, is it makes it something that we feel more comfortable discussing if we ourselves are struggling with it. It gives us language and it gives us comfort. And it also lets us know who, who we can go to about those things because that's part of that journey is feeling like you have people that you can go to to talk about these things. One of the things that makes mental health struggles worse is silence and isolation. It amplifies it, right? And just the removal of those two factors can exponentially help increase someone's mental health functioning. We even know that with studies around LGBTQIA individuals, just having one supportive family member or friend or teacher, just one supportive person decreases their suicidality, but I think it's up to like 20 plus percent. That's massive. We can save lives just by talking about our mental struggles and asking others about theirs, which is why I'm always advocating for, instead of saying to those that you feel really close to, how are you? You say things like, how's your mental health? And that's really a different entry point, right? That's normalizing someone saying, oh, well, let me tell you. So suicide myths, because there's a lot of them. The first one is that it, it, it only affects people with a mental health condition, and that's not true. Um, part of suicide prevention is giving people access to healthcare, living wages, right? Removing homophobia and racism, sexism. All these factors don't allow for a foundation for people to have a robust mental health. They just don't. And those can be some of the causes or further exacerbate another issue. And so we really want to look at that, right? Um, it's not just someone who's showing overt signs of sadness or depression, quite the opposite. Also, another one, is, another myth is that once an individual is suicidal, they'll always remain that way. And that's absolutely not true, right? Because I'm, I'm looking at a study right here, and this one is showing that uh, about 54, 54% of individuals who have died by suicide did not have a diagnosis that was mental health based. So that kind of goes to the other point. Um, also, the idea that suicides happen without warning. That can be the case. That can also be the case for those who aren't familiar with what the warning signs are, but there are many warning signs, right? Um, people can show the signs, especially to those that are closest to them, right? That know what they normally act like, look like, sound like. So definitely look into some of the early warning signs. And a lot of that is about isolation, distancing, uh, not talking about the future, giving things away. Um, and again, we'll kind of land on this one where I was said it was saying that talking about suicide doesn't lead to it or encourage it. Right, And some people still think that. And that's why people are afraid to ask someone, how are you, do you need help? Because they're afraid that maybe they're pushing them into something, pushing them towards something. But again, as I said, it's quite the opposite. It lets someone know that someone cares. And that's also an idea of that we're trying to change in terms of drugs and alcohol. You're not enabling someone by being a part of their life still. You're actually saving their lives. Addiction and, and addiction gets worse when someone's left on their own and isolated and rejected. Um, that, that's what can lead to death. What helps people stay alive is having a connection to someone. And if you're that someone, have boundaries, look out for yourself, don't let it get toxic, but you still can reach out to them, you still can help them, you can still help pay their rent, you can still help buy them food, you're not enabling, you're helping save their life. And that's called harm reduction. How can we reduce the harm? Let's give them a home, a place to live, clean clothes. We don't have to make it worse. Making it worse is not necessarily gonna pull them out. It could push them deeper in. We really, really definitely need to challenge that concept within mental health, that somehow to be part of or to stay with or support is enabling. It's not, it's saving lives. And that's really what the goal is. All right, question of the night. That's coming up next. Still some time to weigh in on that. That is on our Loveline IG page. So 
go go over there, jump in. And then uh, we're going to be doing some DMs. DMs also come from our Loveline AG page. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. And we'll be back in two minutes with that two-minute promise. All right, y'all. Time for question of the night. According to the New York Post, four in 10 people, four in 10, say they've never really had an orgasm, four in 10. 17% of people say they fake it in bed regularly. That hurts my heart. There's absolutely no reason for someone to need to fake pleasure or joy. If you don't like the, you know, cupcake you're eating, it's okay to express that. If you're not enjoying the film, you're allowed to ask to watch something else. And if you're not getting off but want to, you're allowed to ask for them to do what is pleasurable to you or to say, let's call it a night and not be having sex anymore. On average, women said they fake 39 orgasms a year. Okay, so we did. A, so we looked at the studies. Question was, have you ever faked an orgasm? Ever? Sixty-one percent all the time. Forty percent said no, never. That is too high. Sixty-one percent all the time. Why? You're doing that for your partner's ego, man. Let's work on not having our partner's ego be tied to whether or not we're enjoying something. Let's also have our partner's ego not not be so fragile, man. Who y'all having sex with? Um, And if you're the person on the other end, stop tying your worth and value to whether or not your partner is able to orgasm. That often has nothing to do with you. It has to do with a thousand other factors. That, uh, My God, we personalize everything. So the question tonight is, if you have or know someone that has, how is that relationship going? And what happened, right? That's always my concern. Relationships and couples that aren't able to talk about really anxious, anxiety-inducing things like that, I'm worried about the other topics you can't talk about. It's really just part of having a kind of relationship that has a lot of strength and transparency and intimacy and closeness. Y'all, we got to get better about that. It sounds like it's not that big of a deal, but it t- it's tied to a larger um, relational construction. So again, the question tonight is if you have or know someone that has faked an orgasm, how's that relationship going and what happened? First person said, I was dating my now ex. He was abusive and didn't make me and didn't make me feel anything good. See, there's an example, right? This person really centered themselves, probably very narcissistic, and didn't really care about your pleasure in terms of any domain of life. And I'm glad that that's over. But this is another way we kind of start to look in on that. Uh, someone else said, "I'm fulfilled in so many other ways, loved fiercely, and I masturbate. It's all good." But there you go. You said it's all good, so you're happy, and then I'm happy for you. You know. <laughs> Somebody else said. Uh, again, the question is, if you have faked an orgasm or know someone that has, how's that relationship going and what's happened? Someone else said, really well, grateful for my guys, love, support, and growing intimacy amidst a, uh, during a pandemic. And I love that. Like we're, a lot of people are having some sad realizations about their relationship during this, some good ones. You know, I'm telling some people hold things lightly, let it go. It, it might just be due to this. And other people are kind of learning more longer standing issues and concerns. And I, I totally get that. So God bless it. Uh, somebody else said generally relationships, not good, or it's a hookup. Yeah. That's their experience that their friends that weren't orgasming. It was not such a great relationship. And again, I, I, I can see that because why is that partner able, you know, again, I always want people to be in a relationship where they can say, Hey honey, you know what? The way you do that, um, that's really not the way that feels the best to me. Can you do it like this? Or can you do it longer? Or I'm glad you orgasmed, but now I'd love to, can we do it this way? Like every relationship should be able to tolerate that. And if not, we have like a larger problem. Uh, somebody else said, uh, there are times in which I'm just not 100% in the mood. It's going great though. 
Good. And if you're not in the mood, I'd love for you to, you know, do something that does feel good to you or maybe say not right now. But again, it's, it's okay to not be in the mood and to be sexual in service of your partner. We do things for our partners all the time. Sex should not have to be any different. It's another act of love and presence. Like, hey, I'm not really down in being pleasured or penetrated or whatever, but here's what I'll do or here's how I'll participate. I love that. We don't need to shame our partner. We can be present. We can, you know, do things we don't want to do because we want to be there with them. Someone else said, um, I did it all my previous relationships, but have never faked it with my husband. Good. There's just no need. Cause what I'm also hearing is you're missing out on really enjoying some of the higher levels of arousal within sex. And there's just no need for that. Right? So again, question night is if you have faked orgasm or no, someone has, how's the relationship going and what happened? Somebody else said, LOL, nothing happened. It ended right after. And when it did, it was a disaster man, all these disaster stories. Someone else said, uh, I'm not very much aligned with my body and my desires. I'm even referring to myself as an ethical slut. Yeah. You have to get aligned with your body and your desires because you have to have sex. That's the kind of sex you want to have to get aroused enough to have an orgasm. And then you have to be connected enough to your body to be able to be in your body and also really know what you need and to be able to let go enough to get there. Right? So many different complex levels. So let's say we broke up and now I have real orgasms. <laughs> I love that. Somebody else said, I felt trapped and sad in the relationship. Now I'm in a loving, respectful one and no more fakes. See, there's a lot of connections to how loved they feel, how safe people feel, how connected they feel, and that allows them to let go, ask for what they want, be present. Where for a lot of people that are faking, it's because they're not with someone they care about, they don't want to be vulnerable, they don't talk about things. Uh, again, question tonight, if you have faked an orgasm or know someone who has, how was that relationship going? What happened? Someone said, we broke up. Now I have real orgasms. <laughs> it's so polarized. Somebody else said, I felt trapped and sad. I said that one already. Someone else said, I don't fake with my relationship, but I don't always demand to either. You know, it's all about just making sure you're getting the needs met in the ways you want, right? I want everyone to be uh, happy and feeling cared for, you know? All right, y'all. Thanks to those that were vulnerable and participated. The next question of the night is up in our Loveline IG story. So wait in on that. Coming up next. Gonna be sliding those DMs. We will be back in two minutes because it's the two minute promise. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Now it's time for some DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Charger Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore it with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. I hope you're staying safe and healthy, and I love listening to your show. I hear you talk about the side effects of social media a lot, and I'm wondering if you can help my sister. I think she's falling into a depression because of social media, but she just won't get off of it. She's gone from my happy, loving sister to the sad person on her phone on Twitter or Instagram. She's 22 and I'm 25, so social media is, both, is important to both of us, but I'm definitely not on it even half as much as she is. I've tried to get her to put her phone down, but she just storms off or ignores me, but I'm getting worried. She's started to post sad emo lyrics and sad pictures. There's a clear change over the last six or seven months. My parents don't speak English very well, and they don't even have social media, so when I try to get them to talk to her about it, they don't understand. I'm running out of options. Uh, but I really do think she's capable of coming off. How do I help her? This is really, really hard one. You know, this falls under that example of we can sometimes see that a family member is struggling and the, you know, solution is very clear to us, but it's just not something that they're wanting or ready for. And I talk to clients about that all the time, the stages of change. 
even when someone is recognizing that they want to do something new or something's a problem, that doesn't mean that they're ready to step into action. Some people are what we call in the contemplative stage where they're still needing to think about it. Not everyone's like, oh, you know, I really want to go back to school and then starts looking at school programs. Some people, it's something they talk about for days, weeks, months, or years. And we have to meet people where they're at. You can't force someone into a stage that they're not ready for. So again, your sister might not be ready to pull the plug and really start to look at the impact or get off, right? And at 22, it's pretty normal. I spend a lot of time on your technology. So again, we have to meet people where they're at. So the first thing is I would just not make your sister feel bad, not make her feel judged, and not make her feel attacked. You don't want her to start hiding her being on it. You don't want her to feel like every time she's on it, when she's around you, you're looking at her. That will start to negatively impact your relationship with her. Right now, you're one of her lifelines. You're someone who cares about her and is present to her. So I would back off of shaming her while she's on it, but I would say you can continue to share with her the impact it has on you. And that's a really good indirect way to let people know about something is let her know how it's affected your mental health and let her know the positive steps you've taken. Let her know how that's worked. Let her know that casually and how much happier you are and talk about the impact that, you know, following certain kinds of accounts can have on you. Accounts that are, you know, flaunting consumerism or they're kind of body shaming and they're really, you know, idealizing gym bodies or what, whatever it is that she might be up against. Really just start talking about that. You also can start creating a bigger world with her, creating plans to go out and do stuff where the phone's not with her. I mean, that's one of the most powerful things I did to get more off my phone was to start to build in other things I like to do. Um, but this is like also a larger issue, and this is why I'm trying to hold the people accountable that run those pages. Don't put out material that's gonna make people like this poor girl's life negatively impacted, right? So it's like, we all have a part in that. We wanna really support those around us that are struggling with how they feel around social media, but let's also hold accountable the creators that are putting that stuff out there and the people that are liking it and supporting it, right? So again, you gotta meet your sister where she's at, be a very more, you know, a little bit more of a neutralized resource for her, share with her the experiences it's had on you, try to support her in creating better experiences, because the answer isn't just to take her phone away. That will be further, that, that will make her mental health struggle worse, because her phone is a lifeline for her in some way. Her phone is a way she stays connected to other people, so it has some value, but it's also a place we can get trapped in. So again, call that out, share your experience, provide other options, and keep close and keep an eye on her. You know, and if you feel like she's getting a little too depressed, then the issue is maybe more about that. And then you can talk to your parents about that. It's tough stuff, but I'm glad your sister has you. Sign the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. Loveline is always podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. Uh, we'll be back on Monday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. You guys, it's the weekend. So you're going to register to vote if you haven't. You're going to check on those around you. But bigger than that, you're going to focus on self-care some joy and pleasure, and you're absolutely gonna rest. We're dropping the bar down. We're doing 60% at best of what we'd normally do. We're letting go of things, right? We're just kind of trying to make ourselves feel good. Um, some people are getting ready to go back into a second lockdown, possibly. England, Canada, you know, my heart's going out to everyone, and uh, we're not doing so great here in the US, right? Anyway, I'm here with you, though. Uh, check out some past episodes. Pick up my books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines. And uh, you guys have a beautiful weekend. As always, thanks for hanging out with me. Y'all take care.